<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back to The Crystal Night Show, brought to you by Newsweek. The midterm elections are right around the corner, and this year, there's a historic number of black candidates that are running for either governor races or Senate races. 13 Democrats have already received major party nominees in a number of states across this country. Today, I'll be speaking with former Ohio State Senator Nina Turner, who is no stranger to the national stage. She has worked for candidates like Bernie Sanders. She's run for Ohio's 11th Congressional District. And she's been a real force for progressive liberal politics across this country. We'll talk about a number of issues that are facing the Democratic Party, how the party is using or underutilizing progressive voices to help candidates that are in these major battlegrounds win their races ahead of the midterm elections. Senator Turner, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And for any listener who's not familiar with you and your story, could you give us a brief just background on who you are and why you're involved in democratic politics? Thank you, Crystal, so much. And congratulations on your show. Newsweek is is blessed to have you and uh, I wish you much good success with your podcast. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. You you did justice. I mean, I, you know, I'm just a Cleveland, I'm just a Cleveland girl. Came up through very, very humble beginnings. Uh, I can relate to started from the bottom, now I'm here. All right. Or, in the words of Langston Hughes, life ain't been, no crystal, no crystal stare. stare. And at home, mother the son. So, yeah, it's been a journey and I still don't know, you know, I, I, I think I, I still have uh, many more miles to go, but thus far it has been challenging and it has been rewarding. I'm a mother, you know, many people may or may not necessarily know that I have a son who I adore so, so much. Uh, definitely the apple of my eye, the best thing that has ever happened to me in life was birthing that man-child into this world. So proud. And Crystal, I am a, I'm a yaya. I am, right. uh, have two grandchildren, and uh, I must say, when we go out, people think I'm their mother. So shout out to Black Don't Crack if you take right. care of it. And shout out to whoever <laughs> trains you, because you are looking amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you, Crystal. Yes, my trainer, Derek Dardell, Dardell let me give him a shout out from uh, Volt Fitness here in Cleveland, Ohio. He is definitely a, a master at training people, motivating, pushing you, you know, doing the things that a good trainer does. So thank you for that. And, you know, I am in the ministry, if you will, of politics. And I call it a ministry because I do believe that people who are in politics should actually love the people that they are seeking to serve or the people that they do serve and want to use the power that is given to them to uplift and to edify. Now, not everybody does that. And we know that Mm -hmm. Uh, there is you know, the system here is corrupt and you can buy off politicians, but not all politicians are bought off. Bought off. So shout out to those who see it as a, as a ministry. And that's what I sought to do on the Cleveland City Council and the Ohio Senate. 
I ran for Secretary of State in this great state in 2014. So hard, Crystal, for Black folks, particularly Black women, to win statewide. It is very, very hard to do that. We have not had a Black governor, a woman governor in this country yet. Many women have tried. Women are trying right now. I think we will have a breakthrough at some point. And then, as you laid out, late 2015, I... I I was a national surrogate going into 2016 presidential election for Senator Bernie Sanders, really believing in the platform that he was putting forward. And then after that, ran the national organization, Our Revolution. Then the senator decided to run again, came and said, Nina, I need you. And there I was back on the trail as a national co-chair for him. And it has been just a beautiful experience. I have learned so much and I thank God. You know, there's a song in the, in the black Christian tradition. I wouldn't take nothing for this journey. Mm-hmm. It's been a, had ups and downs and turnarounds, but it has been a rich j- journey indeed. And then two other things that people may not necessarily know about me, or maybe just one, so we can just jump into the conversation. But I was a college professor as well. All right. And I taught at a community college here, Cuyahoga Community College, where futures begin. I am a first generation college graduate and it meant so much to me to co- to come full circle and to be able to teach and edify and lift at that institution. So I am a teacher, a historian, a professor uh, by trade. I specialize in African-American history, 20th century. And currently I am a senior fellow at the new school in the Institute on Race, uh, Power and Economics. So Really happy to be here with you and to be able to just to share just a little bit of some of the things I have done and what I'm doing at this moment. Well, I always, you know, say to elected officials, former elected officials, people who've just been in public service. One, thank you for your service. Thank you for what you've been doing for the state of Ohio. And then there's just this national um, platform of politics. And really to kind of just jump in, I wanted to, you, you mentioned that there, we've never had a black woman who has been a governor in these United States of America. And speaking of a black woman that's running for governor in the state of Georgia, we've also not had many black U.S. senators. And this year, we see a large number, and and by large, that may mean a few, um, U.S. senators who are either running for re-election, I'm thinking of Raphael Warnock, or folks who are trying for the first time, like Mandela Barnes or Sherry Beasley. Um, And then we just- Booker. Charles Booker yeah. in Kentucky. Yeah. So we right, yeah. we, we also just have a number of our Democratic senators who are either up for reelection, folks that are trying to get in, even thinking about the race in, in Pennsylvania. Um, but the thing that I am uh, the, the, the gap that I'm seeing is the progressive engagement. And so you have been a force of nature for um progressive politics, at least on this Democratic side and pushing the Democratic Party to be more accountable, not only to young people, but to people who think outside of this moderate Democratic box, more on the progressive box. And so considering all of the races that are happening, considering we still have Stacey Abrams running in Georgia historically to become the first African-American gubernatorial candidate, not candidate, but just governor in this in this country, why do you feel like progressives are being underutilized and undervalued considering we're in a midterm fight for the life of the party and for the majority, not only in the House, but also in the Senate? Can you just you know, share with listeners your perspective around how the party, how candidates 
um, and how, you know, state politics engages progressive folks who may not color within the moderate Democratic lines? Yeah, what a beautiful question. Let me shout out Brother Gary Chambers, too, who's holding it down in Louisiana as well. Like you said, we do have historic numbers of black folks, both men and women, running for statewide offices and our our um the, the fact that this is historic and so many are running i'm not lost i didn't uh, you didn't lose me on your point that our are a lot may only be a handful right you know that that's a word that preaches <laughs> it's hard for me to get that out as i was just thinking about how profound that simple statement that you made is in this moment i would say for the democratic party and i, I will hit the gop as well there, you know, in this two-party system, one of these parties is going to have to show whose side they really are on and not capitulate on that. And so since today's GOP is so far gone, it's going to have to be the Democrats. And so I would like for my party, and I say my party, even though, you know, the neoliberals might say otherwise, I would say for my party that they need to stand up and not equivocate in terms of whose side they really are on. And the way that you stand up and show the people, the people of this nation, the people who are suffering the most, the least of these, that you are on their side is through public policy. That is what you are elected to do, to push public policy and to be in service of your constituents and to not just look at your constituents, that's one part of your job, but you gotta look at the whole. And that is, that's no matter if you're serving on the, on the local level, regional level, state level, or federal level, you gotta have a eye towards the larger vision. What is the collective vision? What does a social contract look like? And Crystal, in some ways, uh, given this pandemic that we are st- still in, mm-hmm. uh, so so sorry, so sad, the president is wrong. We are not out of this pandemic. We may be making progress, but the people who are suffering before the onslaught of COVID-19, they're still suffering in this moment in very deep ways. Don't get us started on inflation, dirty water. Hello, uh, Jackson, Mississippi. Yes, hello, uh, Flint, Flint. Yes. Michigan. Come on. Those people are still suffering now. Of course, I just read an article just yesterday about how they're going to get a $300 voucher to help them pay for water. They pay some of the highest water rates in the United States of America. What in the unholy hell? They shouldn't have to pay for it. They shouldn't even have to pay for water. Right. But for many years, a decade, two decades, let's just go and put some numbers on that. It's a basic right of life. Basic right of life. Cannot survive without air, water, and food. And we're just asking for the bare minimum. So to answer your question more succinctly, I believe that the Democratic Party is going to have to go bold and go big or go home, especially in this moment. There's promise in the problem, the problem of inflation, the problem of this pandemic, the deep seated inequities, whether it be on the racial side, the gender side, the sexual orientation side, wherever those inequities are, the Democratic Party should be pushing public policy and shouting from the mountaintop that it is indeed the party of the people and the Democratic Party as a whole has failed. Now, that doesn't mean at times it has not done some things right, but I'm saying as a whole, it has failed. Wow. And the the GOP, hell, they they lost. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they gone. 
all the way gone. And, you know, we continue to see this divide in the party within the different factions. Right. Because if you're if you're not playing by, you know, the insider rules, then you become an outcast. And, you know, is our tent too big, Nina? You know, is the Democratic tent too big where we cannot, you know, understand that moderates can exist and progressives can exist because we need this collective unity if we want to see these historic wins. I mean, even thinking about Val Demings down in Florida, that's a, sure. another sister that is running for, um, you know, for a Senate, a Senate race. So, again, even though these numbers are small, they're still historic in that we haven't seen, you know, black people put up these type of numbers in a single election cycle. And, you know, we're still Ever. having these ever still having these divides in party fighting about what can get done. And we're leaving people outside. We're leaving, you know, progressives, young folks, people who should be juiced about these elections. You know, that that's, I love using that word. People should just should be juiced about it. They're left for dry because we're still doing the same thing, trying to get the same results. Yeah. They're not juiced about it, Crystal, because they can see through, the flim flam, you know, they don't look behind the curtain. Uh, those of us who've ever seen the Wiz or the Wizard of Oz, same concept. They see the man or the woman behind the curtain just pulling the gadget and at gadgets and not really going deep. If you want to go deep, let me use the child tax credit as an example, Crystal. Here we have, you know, at the height of the pandemic, you know, the Democratic Party pushed for it as part of Biden's plan, got child tax credit. It pulled children out of poverty, I think, by about 50%. Then fast forward, it was temporary and they didn't extend it. So you, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were saying, it's like almost like, you know, interrogation, bad interrogation, but, but you not, 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 not use the word even interrogation, scratch that. But if you were, if somebody was being drowned by somebody else, God forbid, and you, you take their head out, but you put it back in, you take it out and you put it back in, you take it out and you put it back in. That's why people are not juiced because we have a GOP that has lost its ever-loving mind and we have a Democratic Party that is not sure how hard they want to go for the working class because the elites in both parties, the corporate interests of both parties answer to their owner donors and they don't answer to the people. So if you big mama or big daddy in the hoods where people are misunderstood, whether the hoods are rural, urban or suburban, you sick and tired of the man and the woman behind the curtain. You are not juice because you understand that they dick it, pushing your head in the water, then they pull it out, putting it in and pull it out. They're not committed like fully committed with their whole being Mm -hmm. to lift people. Government is designed for us to do collectively what we cannot do as individuals. And baby, if you can bail out Wall Street, if you can say that the banks are too big to fail, then how about the American people? Are the 99% or the 95% too big to fail? I would say yes. So from the child tax credit, Crystal, we don't have the George Floyd policing act, but yet they say black people, we love y'all. Y'all are the heartbeat of black women. You the soul, you the backbone of the Democratic Party. But yet you let their sons and daughters be treated unjustly, unjustly. in a legal system that is working as it is designed. The, this, you know, Congressman John Lewis, the, that Voting Rights Act has yet to pass. And not that the two issues that I just named, whether it's it, the legal system or voting, 
are the only things that the black community cares about. It's not, right. but it is unique mm-hmm. to our experience in this country. So don't nobody else care about those two things. We are always on the front lines, but yet we cannot get the Democrats who have all the power. Now, Krista, when they ran, when they won, won in 2020, they said, give us the majority. They didn't say give us the majority by 10, by 20, by 30. They said, give us the majority and you're going to see some things happen. But they putting the head in, taking it out. Putting your head in, taking it out. And that just does not work. So people are over it. So, they really are. And that's why they're not juiced, whether they're younger people or on the progressive side of the ledger. They are not juiced because they see this scam for what it is. So what do you say to people who say, well, you know, the student loan forgiveness program, that is that's kicking into effect. Right. Um, But, you know, if you're paying attention to policy, because at the end of the day, all of the things that, you know, come before us with the American public as it relates to what an administration can do for us, it all goes back to the pen, to the policy. And if you're changing the policy which, you know, there have been some modifications to who can actually qualify. And, you know, the other challenges, you know, making an announcement without the application being open on the same day, which is also another, you know, that's another barrier. And maybe it was unforeseen. But what do you say to people who say, well, you know, you're saying that the party hasn't done anything, but we're fighting for Roe versus Wade. We have, you know, the, the you know, child tax credits, even though they expired. Um, we, we were trying to get something tangibly done with Build Back Better. But this student loan forgiveness, you know, we can send lots of money to Ukraine. But we are uh-huh. we, we see people even within the party complaining about ten and twenty thousand dollars for people that we told to go out and get a college degree because we sell this American dream to folks. And then when we and then, then when these same folks need help. We're saying, oh, we can't do that. That's going to drive up inflation. It's not good for the economy to bail, you know, to bail students out or or borrowers out. And so I just want you to speak to that because you do hear people saying, listen, give this administration a chance. Um, the, the president has had a, la- a, a a great couple of last, you know, few weeks, even the last month or so. So how do we reason with things us, you know, provide support for a country that is obviously embattled, embroiled in a, a war that they should not be in, but also helping everyday Americans with basic things, right? Like water, but even like student loan forgiveness, that's such a, a you know important thing. And then, you know, also, you know, there are there's a talking point that says, you know, these democratically run cities um, have high levels of crime. So, you know, and, and then you have, you know, I know I'm throwing a lot of different issues in here, but I'm, I'm saying all this to say that this administration has done something. They're giving us something, but is it just another coming up for air or are they, you know, coming up, you're bringing us up for air and dunking us back into the water to use your analogy. Yeah, Crystal, let me turn that around just a little bit. So two points that you made that really stuck out for me. One is the democratic party. I'm not saying that the Democratic Party has done nothing. I am saying it is not doing enough. All right. There's a difference between not doing nothing and not doing enough, given the import of this moment and how there's promise in the problem, how one can use crises to have transformation. And we need transformation in this particular moment. And the second point you made about some people saying, 
um, the president is doing well. I would argue that that is the wrong premise. That is the wrong measure. It's not whether or not the president, whatever president, this president, president before him and before him and before him, this is about the, the, the seat of the president. So it's not enough for me to say that the president is doing well. I want to know, are the people doing well? Right. See, that's the measure. That's right. Because this president, the president before him, the food that he was, the president before him and so on and so forth. See, they going to do well. They going to be all right. They kids going to be all right. They kids, kids going to be all right. But I want to know if Big Mama and Big Daddy's kids going to be all right. So I really don't give a damn whether or not the president is doing all right. All right. I want to know if the people in the hoods where they are misunderstood are doing right. And if the elites of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, but I'm going to put them in the parking lot because we know how far gone they are right now. If the elites within the Democratic Party would have more intestinal fortitude to measure success based on what is happening in communities all across this country instead of their bubble and trying to get back to brunch and wearing sunglasses and doing all this performative BS. All right. <laughs> we would be a lot better off. So, Crystal, the reason why they don't like progressives mm-hmm. like me and others is because we tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us God. And so it's, it's a, it's one thing to recognize that some good has happened, Mm -hmm. but it is not enough, especially in this moment. And they not giving us anything. This is what the people deserve. And we definitely deserve better than what we're getting. Your point about the basics, Food, water, and air. We're not even reaching too high. This ain't even visionary to say that in the United States of America, every human being has a right to clean air, right. clean water, right. and clean food. Before we even get to talking about Medicare for all, canceling student debt, and you know, them same mofos that's complaining about canceling student debt, they didn't have a problem increasing the military budget. And I'm not talking about the part of the budget that goes to the enlisted folks. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the part of the budget that goes to the military industrial complex. These people who make their living off of war, that's the part of the military budget I'm talking about. Right. So yeah, always got an excuse when it comes to bailing out the hood, always. And so what I want to say to the people of this country, to your listeners, to people who will forward this interview, is that we need to make a demand. Brother Frederick Douglass said, power can seize nothing without a demand. Mm. Never has, never will. Paraphrasing them. That is it. It was true when he said it. It's true now. What kind of demands are we going to make? And oh, by the way, when you make a demand, if that demand is not answered, then there must be a consequence. So we got to get to making the demands and preparing to make these elected folks have some consequence. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you. And I, I think, you know, one of the things that you just said that really struck out to me, particularly about, you know, bailing out folks with student loans in the military industrial complex. I think one thing I, I was very surprised and, you know, pleasantly surprised that this administration did the comms team, they outed every single congressperson who spoke out against you know, giving relief yeah. to student borrowers because some of these same Congress people, people who are millionaires, average Congress people, the average congressman, man or woman, is a millionaire. We can look, we can look at the numbers, we can look at their financial That's statements, right. but many of them receive PPP loans. 
And many of those loans were forgiven. And so if you have a problem with, again, we're talking $10,000. I was a Pell Grant recipient. We're talking $20,000. So imagine a millionaire complaining about $20,000. Imagine that. In in twenty twenty two, imagine a millionaire complaining about someone getting a ten thousand dollar forgiveness, a, a clean slate, when you just got half a million dollars wiped away for said business. When you are privy to insider trading because of the position that you hold, yeah. and maybe it's not you, but it's your spouse or a family member adjacent. But I mean the hypocrisy of even trying again to help people in the hood to help people who need that extra bump up because some of these student loans when I was paying student loans I was paying mortgage rate level 800 to 1500 dollars a month so again these are things that can literally elevate change people's lives and the people who are legislating they're so far removed that they don't even see that a $10,000 or $20,000 or even a, a, a continued deferment of the, the repayment of loans can really be monumental in someone's financial stability in their life and their ability to get ahead coupled with you just got a PPP loan for half a million dollars or even for a million dollars and you may have also gotten it forgiven. That's right. And that in lies the, the problem. Again, whose side are you on? You know, in the Christian tradition, there's a scripture that says you will know the tree by the fruit that it bears. Right. Not all this, you know, half measure talking, but the fruit, the action, the policy. And I would say, and shout out to the debt collector, because even getting the president to go for $10,000 on one hand, $20,000 if you were Pell Grant recipient, that came. That wasn't because he had some kind of epiphany. That came because the grassroots fought for it, pushed for it, made yes. some demands for it, and wouldn't get up off of it. And we have to do more of that. I, for one, as a freedom-fighting progressive, I want all student debt forgiven. I am, you know, I will give credit to the start, but that is the basement, baby. We ain't even up in the penthouse level yet <laughs> because all student debt needs to be for given every single dime. It is a predatory system yes. that the federal government has allowed to plague people for the crime of going to college, trying to better their lives. I'm a first generation college graduate. My son's second generation. I get it. Together, we got about $100,000 worth of debt. I'm still paying on student debt. And you know what? And paying and paying and overpaying and still not making a dent in it. It is a predatory system. It should have never been all of it because we need everybody to have skin in the game. I've talked to one of my dear friends who's a medical doctor and, you know, she wants to practice medicine, wanted to practice medicine in the hood, in the neighborhood where the the needs are the greatest. Mm -hmm. But can you imagine a doctor who has amassed hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt being in a situation where they can't repay that debt because their clientele base can't afford to pay for their health care. So another reason why we should not means test, I'm using that as an example, Correct. because we want to free people up to be of service. And so whether that service is as an educator or a doctor, 
dentist, whatever, we want you to be free to be of service. So that person needs their debt forgiven, just like the person who may only have $20,000 worth of debt. You don't means test, don't means test that because depending on where you live, $125,000 is nothing. Talk to our sisters and brothers and family friends that live in Chicago or LA or Seattle, $125,000 maybe in Ohio, is a good living. That's good living. Right. But in these cities and states where the cost of living is, is extraordinarily high, that is not a lot of money. Chris, don't means test this thing. Mm-hmm. Forgive all. And your point about um, how even just what little the administration has done, even though they snatched that back, it was just an article yesterday I was yep. reading about how, again, the flim flam. <laughs> Millions of people who were supposed to have their student debt forgiven. Now yeah. they're going to snatch that second. Put the head back in the water, baby. Hold you down. That's what they're doing. <laughs> now they're not going to get their student loans forgiven. What? I, I mean, you just really got to have a WTF moment. But the, the all nature of it. Canceling student debt is both economics and it's also racial justice. It's economic right. justice and it's racial justice because there's data out there that shows that if you cancel student, black women hold the largest amount of student debt, highest rates, all of that kind of stuff, deeper than any other group. Imagine if that, the, the racial wealth gap between whites and blacks would shrink yeah. tremendously right. because of the canceling of all student debt. Right. So again, whose side are you on? You keep bailing out these other folks. That's right. But continuously making excuses. And and you are I'm glad you I will give some a uh, few points to the administration <laughs> for exposing them fools, them GOP fools that was talking all that smack <laughs> look up their record. They done got PPP and got the PPP forgiven. What that's the right. hell? You know, that's like what the nerve. <laughs> the like nerve. The nerve. She used to say, you know, you got more nerve than a brass ass monkey. And I don't know what a brass ass monkey looked like, but grandma was saying, and that's one of the moments, the nerve. The nerve, the audacity. (laughs) Well, you know, I, I think a lot of what we've talked about today really has been centered around We can be in this party and still push this party and be for the party. And that's the the thing that I think gets lost in a lot of this this conversation, many conversations that are happening, is that if you're too progressive, you're not a Democrat. And if you don't play by this this insider's rule, you're anti. And I reason to think differently. I dare I say I I, I think differently. And I love that you said, yes. It's a beginning, it's the floor, but it's not the ceiling. And so I, I just want you to help our listeners really crystallize they're, if they're feeling like, well, I'm so conflicted. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm super, super liberal. I'm super, super progressive. I'm on the far left. But when I talk to my family and friends or I hear what's happening in the political atmosphere, it feels as if I'm not welcomed because of the way that I think. And I, I want our, our listeners to understand that you can have bold ideas and you can understand the landscape that we're in right now and still see future. You can still see a higher height that the party can climb towards and can go towards because we should always be, you know, striving to push our elected officials to do even more for the constituents that they serve because ultimately we put them in those seats these are not their Absolutely. seats, they're the people's seats. And so I just want you to leave, you know, folks with, uh, you know, some final words about 
pushing the party to do more and not feeling like they're anti-party just because they're asking for greater levels of accountability. Yeah, that's it, Crystal. You nailed it. Greater levels of accountability. Some can be good, but good ain't better or best. <laughs> that's right. You know, so you, you got to keep pushing. I would encourage people not to distill their desire to make this country, you know, starting with their community, a better place to a party. Okay. Again, this ain't about the party. You may be a member of the party, subscribe to a party, vote for a certain party in this country. Hell, we only got two major parties and that's the choice today. But make it about the overall purpose by which you believe the things that you believe, especially if it is in the vein of the edification of humanity. That's what it is. And so that's bigger than a party. Yes, I'm a member of this party. I'm a member of, of the DNC. I've run, you know, served in office and has and and run, you know, as a Democrat, but I don't worship at the feet of this party. Some people believe you got to worship this party. No, I worship God and I serve the people. And that's what they are uncomfortable about when it comes to people like me. But there have been women greater than me who sung the same song, who preached the same sermon. People like Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm comes to mind when she ran for president in 1972 on a platform of unbossed, unbought and unbossed. You know, Fannie Lou Hamer comes to mind. She ran for Congress. She challenged President Johnson. She had President Johnson, Lyndon Baines Johnson, shaking so much that the brother had to call a press conference to try to stop her testimony Mm. before the DNC from being seen nationally, he called a press conference to take the attention away from her. But little did he know, baby, a black woman on the move, you can't take attention away from her. He actually elevated what she had to say about the party. She was in love with her purpose enough to to create relationship with other suffering people in Mississippi, white people. And they created their own party, Crystal. That's right. They sure did. And you know why they did that? Because the regular mainline Democratic Party was not in, t- in service to or service of the people that she was standing up for. And she recognized that and she challenged them. And to the point about if they don't want you there. Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm once said, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. chair. Baby, it's time to bring out the folding chairs. All right. Because ultimately, if you are elected to office, you are supposed to be in service of and service to. The greatest among you shall be the servant. But yet and still, we, te- we treat these elected officials like they some damn celebrities that got to be worshipped. They some half deities that have to be worshipped. We thanking them and we kissing their behinds. No. They doing what they supposed to do, which is to push public policies that change the material conditions of the people who have the greatest need. Now, ain't nothing wrong with saying thank you to somebody, but you ain't got to worship them. You ain't got to kiss their behinds and say, oh, my God. So, no, ain't no pleading and begging. They doing their job. Crystal, why is it that we have more sympathy for the people who have the most power Mm. and have very little sympathy and sometimes no sympathy for the people who don't. We make excuses for this president. We make excuses for this Congress. Well, they got the majority, but they don't have enough of a majority. But in, in, in the hoods where people are misunderstood, they have little or nothing. That's right. And you don't make those same excuses for them. So the people with the people's power ought to do a better job in service 
and we measure that service by how the least of these, our sisters and brothers and family and friends are doing, not the greatest, because they're going to be all right. That's but right. I'm worried about the people in communities like mine and communities all over again, yeah, whether they're rural, suburban, or urban. Because, Chris, I want people to understand, we're talking about the hoods when people misunderstood, we're talking about all of them. That's right. I'm worried about how they are doing and how their children will do and their children's children. Do you know that this generation cannot hope to do better than the previous generation and the generation before that? The death rate or the mortality rate, you know, people dying, dying uh, younger, not living as long, even white men now. Hello? <laughs> so you know we got a damn problem now. Houston, we got a problem. When the white brothers start, they, they life expectancy going down. What the hell? Oh, yeah. No, we, we got a problem. Right. You know, we got a problem. And I'm using that. In just, but, you know, just right. life expectancy has gone down. Quality of life has gone down. And one other thing, inflation is being created by the corporations in this country. Mm-hmm. There was a CEO that was caught saying he is so happy about inflation because it gives him a reason to increase prices. So don't let these mofos tell you that inflation is going up because people may be making a little more money. That is not true. Inflation is going up because it is artificially being driven up by corporations. So The Intercept wrote an article a couple of days ago, headline, CEO says he's been, quote, praying for inflation. You know what, Chris, I know this is a family show, but I'm having a WTF moment. I want to (laughs) say what in the Frankenstein, okay? The, bro- the man said he was praying for inflation because it's an excuse to jack up prices. Wow. And this is the CEO of Iron Mountain. He's an Iron Mountain executive. Mm-hmm. And he tells that Wall Street is great for the bottom line. Wow. Now, government is supposed to check that fool. And all other fools like him. That's what the federal government should be doing. Don't even get me started. Chris, we will have to that. We don't have to do this again. You got me. <laughs> I know. We well, well, I think that this is a good conversation, though, because the midterms are in a couple of weeks. And so people yeah. are thinking about all of these pocketbook issues, issues that are going to be affecting people's day to day lives. And inflation is that, you know, the cost of eggs, the cost of sugar, the cost of milk. Those are basic things, basic staples, rather, in the American diet, if you will. And so if people can't figure out how they're going to pump gas, people can't figure out how they're going to buy bacon or, you know, turkey bacon, if you will. Those are things that drive people or keep them at, at home when they're thinking about going to the polls. And so just ahead of the midterm elections, I think that this conversation has been very timely because we're keeping issues at the forefront of our listeners' minds and showing that there are progressive factions that still can exist and push this party further. So you know, Senator Turner, I want to leave you with any final words that you may have. And again, just thank you for being with us today and sharing your thoughts with our listeners, wherever they may be listening. Well, thanks for having me. And Chris, they listening all over the world, baby. You, you, you international. We just going to put that out in the universe. Thanks for having Received. me. James Baldwin is touching my heart right now. And um, there's a quote. And again, forgive me if it's not verbatim. But not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Let's come on ahead and and face the challenges head on 
and work very hard to change current reality. Just because something is true today does not mean it has to be true tomorrow. And especially when it comes to lifting people and changing material conditions, we live in the wealthiest country on the face of the earth. There is nothing that we cannot do in this country. It is a matter of will. And so I want the everyday people of this nation to know that they deserve better than what they are getting and that it is within their right. It is their duty to push people who are elected to office, who are supposed to stand in the ready position on their behalf. And if they are not doing it, they got to hit the road. They do. And we can't be afraid to call people out. Yeah, you can thank them. You ain't got to worship them and fawn all over them. But that is their job to be in service to you. And if they're not doing it, then we got to get some other folks out there who are, who will, who are willing to do it and not be uh, sellouts and be bought out and answer to their owner donors. We need people in public office who answer and serve the people. So not everything that's faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. That is the great 20, 20th century novelist, the one and only James Baldwin. Let's take his words to heart and let's get out there and make some change. All right. Thank you so much for joining the show, Senator Turner. Again, this has been Senator Turner from Ohio joining the Crystal Knight Show brought to you by Newsweek. Thank you so much for your time. And we want to see you out there on the stump. Thank you. You will. I am. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Crystal Knight Show brought to you by Newsweek. The best way you can support us is to give your five-star review on Apple iTunes and be sure to check out our diverse lineup of over 12 different podcasts and radio programs at newsweek.com forward slash podcast. I'm Crystal Knight. Thank you for listening. And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast to The Crystal Knight Show.